Hello, and thanks for joining me for another instalment of the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's Creative and Editorial Director. For episode 13, I went to AstraZeneca's London base to meet Paul Naish, who's Director of Oncology, Advocacy and Government Affairs, to talk about the quality of online information available for lung cancer patients. The background to this is some really interesting AZ research that was presented at the 2019 European Lung Cancer Congress in Geneva. It looked at gaps in online sources of information, the quality of information that's available, and also has some implications for any companies working in lung cancer. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and Stitcher, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Paul, welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. Thank you, Dominic. So we're going to talk today around some AstraZeneca research into the quality of uh, online information that's available for lung cancer patients. You, of course, presented it uh, earlier this year at the 2019 European Lung Cancer Congress in Geneva. Tell me about it. What prompted you to carry out the research? Well, in my role at AstraZeneca, I, I look at a, lot of, at a lot of the issues around the care a patient can get access to, looking at sort of the health system structure, the health system dynamics, the treatments they have access to. And we work with a lot of patient groups in supporting patients. And uh, where this research really came from is... I was at a meeting getting on for a year ago now, and there were two patients there talking about living with lung cancer. And, of course, they shared a million insights. You learn something every time you speak to someone with a disease like cancer. Um, But one story that really struck me was these two patients from two different countries, actually two different diagnoses as well within lung cancer, both said that their doctor had told them not to look at the Internet. They gave the diagnosis and they said, don't go home and look, look this up. And then the patient smiled at us all in the audience and said, so of course we went straight home and went to Dr. Google. I wanted us to put ourselves in their shoes and say, well, what what do you find? Why are doctors, some doctors, saying don't look? Um, What what will a patient find and what what can we think that a patient might take away from that information they find? So that was where the research came from. We we pulled in uh, 11 researchers from 11 different countries. Uh, We gave them a list of 22 search terms, you know, we can't say in research, go and look around like an average person would. We need to, to have some control in research. So 22 search terms from really general things like information on lung cancer to things that they might have heard their doctor say, like targeted treatments for lung cancer, those sorts of things. And in the research, they just captured what they found on the first page of results and described the, the content of those websites. So that was, that was really where it came from. So it, it's very much looking at that key first page on Google, which, yeah. is, as we know... People, few people go on to yeah. pages two, three, it's very much diminishing returns, and looking at what information is going to be front of mind when, pe- when patients are consulting Dr. Google. It, it, exactly that. So, so many people listening will have been in this, this situation, of course, of you go and you look for information. And with a disease like cancer, you are really hungry for information. And so are your loved ones. You know, interesting dynamic between the person with the disease mm-hmm. and, the, and the people around them. And so, so you're really hungry for information. Yes, I would expect that people will, in that situation, drill down beyond that first page, but we know that generally people don't. And even if they do drill further, 
what comes up first has an impact. So we really wanted to look at, at what that picture looked like. So what, what, did, what did you find? What does that picture look like? Yeah, well, no surprise to anyone. You go on the internet to say what's there and there's a lot of different things there. You know, that's, that's a standard statement about the sure. internet generally. Hmm. Um, but across those 22 search terms in 11 countries, we found 900 unique websites. So lots of websites came up lots of times across the different search terms, hmm. stripped out those duplicates, 900 different voices. So that's 900 different organisations that are communicating with patients, whether they mean to or not. And I say that because some of that information is definitely aimed at patients, and some is just there because it comes up from the search term. And you find information from people you'd expect. I think everyone listening would expect patients to find information from patient groups, from professional societies. Uh, Also find information from healthcare providers, So in the UK, it would be people like the NHS, the National Health Service. In the US, groups like Memorial Sloan Kettering have good websites providing information. But then also some some newer categories, like the the new world of of health information websites, like Passport Santé in France, Mm -hmm. who exist to provide information, um, like a kind of a media outlet, really. So different types of voices. But then one that was very, very strong was news media was consumer press, uh, was things like journals and and media aimed at healthcare professionals. And the search engine doesn't know you're a patient. It just knows you're looking for information on a disease. Mm -hmm. And so that information all comes up. So lots of different voices. I think one thing that struck me was when we looked across the different countries, you see the relative strength of those voices really varying from country to country. So in the Netherlands, for example, we found about a quarter of the websites that came up in our research were from patient organisations. In Germany, that fell right down to 5%. So where you are, you'll hear different voices depending on the nationality. I think the other interesting thing with that is just to to stop and think that when you're a patient in a place like the UK, you're going to find information from the US. If you're a patient in a Spanish-speaking country, you're going to find information from the US in Spanish. <laughs> so the, the internet is this, this strange beast mm. that, that provides the information it thinks you need rather than necessarily what you actually may need. And we, did you look in detail at, as you say, the types of languages that, that information was, was presented in? Were there any, any findings there that you can, you can share? Certainly on the complexity points, absolutely, in terms of, of language. So two things on language. One is the, the nationality uh, languages. And you know, if you're an English-speaking patient your access to information is much bigger than if you're not an English-speaking patient. But then beyond that, I think the most important thing is the actual way in which this information is written, that kind of of language. And the complexity was a key challenge we found here. So because you're being offered up a lot of information that isn't actually aimed at you as a patient, some of the complexity is really challenging. So imagine you're, you're sat there, you've been diagnosed, your doctor's said something about the targeted treatment, plug that into Google. And what you get from many of the sites that will come up is really detailed information about molecular pathways, about different mutations and how prevalent they are in populations. That's really confusing. That's confusing for most people. Mm. It also doesn't necessarily, in fact, only one in five of the sites when you looked for targeted treatments pointed out that you need to get tested to find out which treatment you should receive. So one in three had information about all the different mutations 
which in lung cancer, there are many of them and it can be pretty confusing. But only one in five said, you've got to get tested. So it just starts to make you think, well, what does this do to a patient's expectations? You know, they're, they're seeing this information. They are perhaps getting confused. They maybe aren't being directed to actions they should be taking. And maybe going back to their healthcare professionals with a range of questions. So the whole dynamic around this is one of a challenging experience for the patient. It wasn't a, a piece of research looking solely at health literacy, but it, it's clearly very closely aligned to those sorts of uh, that, that sort of area. And we know just in terms of, I suppose, really the most simple health research, health messages often aren't understood, often aren't communicated to patients, never mind targeted therapies and being tested for, for biomarkers and, and, and so on. How does your research connect to, to the, wider, the wider piece around health literacy? I, I think that's absolutely key. I mean, the, the, the ability of people generally to understand the high science that's moving at pace in oncology uh, is something that we need to think about. But you're right, on, on the general terms, just the ability to understand the general dynamics of the disease and the information that you're provided is something that needs to be thought about in detail. Obviously, in the UK, uh, this was a, a big topic for a period of years, and we had the information standard and real efforts to make information really understandable to the average person, whatever that may mean. It was defined to mean someone of relatively low educational uh, achievement. Some websites are still following those processes to make sure that information is really accessible. Others, I, I don't think it's really what they're aiming for. When you think about the fact, I said, that news media is a dominant voice in this space. When journalists, with respect, are writing their news articles, they're writing news articles. They're not thinking, how do I cope with the different levels of health literacy of the people who are going to read this mm. and how they're going to understand the context. And context is key in health literacy. You, you might be able to understand the one piece of information you're getting, but can you anchor it in the other things you've been told? Can you really understand how it all fits together? And one of the areas we looked at was immunotherapy. You know, a lot happening in that space in lung cancer. And when you look at the news media coverage around immunotherapy, there's not a lot of context. It's a study that's worked or not worked. Um, and you get the language of miracle cure or not. And what patients need to understand is that these will work better in some people than others. And they need to understand what it means to be able to get to a treatment like that and, and get through a treatment like that with some of the profile uh, that that might present. So I think a big challenge here in the lung cancer space is that we've got a fast-moving space informed by a range of different voices and people who, are, who have high health literacy are going to go to their doctors, go to their clinical team, have detailed conversations, take part in shared decision-making and really have a much better chance of getting the best for them. And what we should be concerned about is people who don't have that level of health literacy. How are they supported? How do we help them understand the information? But also, you know, I would recognise that this research is looking at just one little element of the information mix. It's just what happens patient at home with Dr Google. So this information journey needs to include the support given by the clinical team saying what people should look at, giving them language that they can understand so they can start picking away at the layers of information, really helping them understand their disease, not just giving them a treatment and treating the patient, but working with the patient 
So I think that's a, a, a critical point to, to address from the results, results we've seen here, but also from what we're, we're seeing from pa uh, hearing from patients. And in, in terms of the, what the, you were seeing with, within the, the results, if we could drill down uh, in, into those for, uh, for a minute. So what was coming back in terms of your, the researchers are going on to Google, presumably, it's the, the, what, the dominant search engine, mm -hmm. of course, typing in the terms and then look, then analysing what the, uh, the results are that they're, they're seeing. What were they saying in terms of maybe the, the language and its accuracy or whether it was up, up to date? So you mentioned up to date. That was a, a key point. I mean, we saw some, for example, there was a patient information leaflet developed by a professional association that hadn't been updated since 2014. A lot's changed since 2014. Some professional societies, one, hadn't updated since 2017. And as a result, actually, some of the information wasn't just sort of out of date. It was, it was wrong. Mm. It was talking about a certain class of treatments only being able to be used in a second line after another treatment when that's not what the guidance is anymore. That's not what the evidence says. So up to date is a, is a key challenge. I think, I think then you come back to, to, to what we've discussed, the complexity of it. So even some of the uh, information aimed at patients, the researchers found that you know, there, were, there was a risk of, of diving into the detail of what different mutations really meant when you know, there's some sorting needed and some hierarchy needed in this information that a patient needs to know that they need to be tested. Lung cancer isn't one disease anymore. We haven't thought of it as one disease for a long time. They need to be tested to find out which type of lung cancer they have. Mm -hmm. And that's a more important piece of information than knowing exactly how an EGFR mutation works. So the, the researchers found that there, there's, there's some very good information out there. There's also some out-of-date information. There's some information that's overly complex. And I think one of the other interesting things is that, having said there's good information out there, some of it can get absolutely drowned out by other sources. So there are... Um, some wonderful patient information leaflets available that actually don't pop up in search results at all. But once you've clicked down several clicks in a website, you find this great PDF. Some great websites like Th Thinking, for example, of Roy, Ca Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation in the UK or Lung Cancer Alliance in the US, and there are many others uh, as well, who have really good information but are losing the battle on search engine optimization. I think we'd all agree that we'd want a patient to get information aimed at a patient from a patient organisation. But again, Google doesn't necessarily know that's what's happening when someone searches. So they found, the researchers found that with those general searches, you were very likely to find a patient group. The minute you went into more specific searches, they dropped back and in came the journals, in came the information aimed at healthcare professionals. And that's something we need to grapple with. And, and in terms of uh, the accuracy of the information, how, how did that fare? I mean, there must be a fair bit of variation, I, I imagine, when, when talking about such a, such a subject. Absolutely. I mean, there were only a few examples we came across uh, in those 900 sites we looked at where information had actually, was actually wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's which is good. Um, which is very good. I think the fair thing to say, though, is that a lot of the pictures painted on the, by the websites were partial pictures, and a lot of it due to just not being up to date. So it might talk about um, treatments available for a certain type of lung cancer, and it will talk about some treatments and not others. Um, something that I want to explore further there is 
what impact does that have on a patient if their doctor's putting them on a drug that when they go to a website, it's not mentioned? Do they think that it's a, a new one and that's a good thing? Or do they think, hang on a minute, why is my doctor giving me something that this organisation doesn't mention? And, you know, that's, with any research, you come up with lots of questions for further research. Um, that's something we, we want to explore a bit further. So lots of partial pictures and lots of challenges with regard to context. So uh, I think particularly in the space of immunotherapy, giving the context of where that works and the fact that it doesn't work for everyone is one of the things that was missing from a lot of the information mm -hmm. we saw. I suppose particularly if you've, if you've got a lot of the information coming from media reports, yeah. the tendency, particularly in the mainstream press or certain, certain sections of the mainstream press, might be to be more on the miracle cure coming. They don't have an awful lot of space to be able to cover new treatments yeah. and will often talk, talk them up. And to be completely fair, I mean, that's not what the story is for. The story, you know, a, a piece of journalism on a, on, a, on, a, on a development, a moment in time, is to describe what's happening there and then. It is not, you know, we can't expect every news story to have three paragraphs on what's happened followed by ten paragraphs on balanced, up-to-date <laughs> information on the full picture of lung cancer. It's just not realistic. Mm. And I think, you know, we would certainly hope that and trust that many patients are discerning and health literate enough to put those in context. But I'm concerned that some may not be, and we certainly hear doctors talking about patients who've come into their appointment waving newspaper articles, saying, why am I not on this drug? And that's challenging. It's something that doctors are, are well-trained and well-experienced at dealing with. But I worry, and people I've spoken to worry about the impact that has on patient expectations, that the diagnosis of cancer is a roller coaster as it is. If you're getting hopes raised and then dashed, if you're being taken down different alleyways with the different information you're provided, I think that's really concerning about the, the experience a patient has. And I suppose that's it, even assuming that patients are, the information that they find is, is, is accurate, is appropriate, there's still, still a lot of variation in, in, in that form. Absolutely. So what, what's been the, the reaction um, to, to the research? You, you presented it um, already this year. What's the reaction been? So people have been really intrigued. I mean, th this is a space where you know, there's lots of anecdotes around what you find from Dr. Google, and we all furiously do air quotes when we say Dr. Google. Lots of anecdotes around that. What we've done here is actually mapped something. It's part of the picture, but it's, it's a mapping. And people have been intrigued by that. Not surprised in many ways, I think. You know, we all know, everyone listening has had experiences of, of going online and finding yourself reading stuff and thinking, what did I actually come here to look up? Because that's what the internet does, and it's wonderful for that. But people looked at it and, and they started to ask the same questions we're discussing here. What is the impact of this dominant share of voice for news media? What is, how do we deal with the challenge of out-of-date information? Particularly when treatments are moving so fast, how do we help websites keep up to date? So what I found in the conversations talking about this research was you know, we're immediately jumping into, so what do we do next? How do we make this better? Building on that point then, what, what, do, what do you do next? Well, what, what, what is next for, I think, for the research? I think the, you know, the, the thing you're tempted to think when you look at this is, oh, let's, let's make the whole picture better. 
let's curate the internet uh, and other impossible things to think about and things that we may not even want to try to do. And after that, we will boil the ocean. After and, that, uh, indeed. The elephant and, and indeed, whatever awful indeed. might come up with next. Indeed. So, so that, that can't happen. But there are a couple of things we've talked about with, with patient advocacy leaders, with doctors, with uh, scientific association uh, societies so far. And that's on this challenge of keeping up to date. Are there ways we can make it easier to keep up to date? You know, are there services that could be provided by some organisations to make it really easy to update websites? Many organisations are working really hard to put information out there, but you know, updating websites takes time, and they often have a lot of content. And how often can they get around to updating? So how easy can we make it? And that's one of the conversations we're having. The second conversation is around, if you like, playing the game of the internet. I said about some organisations having great, accurate, up-to-date information but getting drowned out. Mm. Um, can they be helped with their search engine optimization? Are there things that could be done with you know, Google AdWords and, and things that other organisations use very effectively to make patient-friendly, patient-driven information really present for a patient coming to that website, coming to a search engine. One side is making it easier to update, the other side is trying to make uh, the good, accurate sites more available, more accessible. I think those are the two things that mm. we're keen to play with. We're reflecting ourselves, you know, what specific things can we do as a company, as AstraZeneca, and, and there are some really simple things there, like we'll often support organisations to develop information, to develop a website with grants. We need to make sure that when we're doing that, we're doing it for organisations that have the capacity and the plans in place to update that information. You know, we need to be, need to be part of the solution, not be inadvert inadvertently part of the problem of setting up a wonderful site here in 2019, but it's still being exactly the same in five years' time. So there are things we can do as a company, there are things that we need to work on with with other organisations. Mm. Oh, and, and speaking of other organisations, is, is there a role, do you think, for the, the, the big tech companies, most obviously Google in, in this particular case, to step in or to, to make, cha make changes at a more sort of systemic level to be able to raise the profile of, of good quality information? I think there's, there's certainly a role there. I think the, the challenge is to think about what the specific role is. You know, when you have a search engine displaying results on a disease like lung cancer, it is difficult to know whether that's a patient searching or a doctor searching or a student searching or whoever it may be. But these tech companies are, are super smart at managing these algorithms and understanding users. And I think that there is a role they can play there. One challenge that we need to overcome, I think, is that often people's desire to, to, to deal with these information issues is to people's approach is to set up new channels and we see lots of new channels new websites and then people compete for readers we can solve this by having the best patient information website and make sure everyone comes there first but it's never really going to happen and even if you had the best website it would be one amid the full mm. list of, of first search results so I think w what I'd be interested in seeing is is working with organizations tech companies to say, you know, how can they play a role in flagging those sites that are up to date? Um, really making sure that someone searching as a patient can get through to those websites. That's a conversation that we'd be keen to have. Mm -hmm. Finally then, uh, are there lessons that, that patients themselves can draw from this, this sort of research when if they're looking to raise their own health, health literacy? 
get, get, get more involved in, in these sorts of issues? I think the, the biggest starting point, this is something flagged by uh, a patient advocacy leader when we have the conversation around this research, is that when someone wants to become informed, the temptation now is to say the internet is where everything is. If I read the whole internet, I will know everything. What people who want to develop their health literacy need to do is start talking to people first. They need to make those contacts with trusted sources, patient organisations near them, talking to their doctor about information. You know, we're allowed to talk to our doctors about things other than the specific prescription we've gone to receive. So that you then really have a, a, a directed journey into the information available online. And then I think you know, we all just need to remember, and we, we all need to remember this, whether we're patients uh, today or tomorrow, that we need to read things on the internet with a critical eye. Where's it coming from? Is this an organisation that's giving me information based on what they're able to provide? Or is this an organisation really aiming the information at me for my benefit? Mm. And so I think getting that starting point right, going into the journey with the right mindset and reading information with a critical eye is, is the key. We'll leave it there, but it's been a fascinating conversation. And Paul, thanks very much for joining me on the, uh, the Pharma Forum podcast. Thank you, Dominic. And that's it for this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast and my chat with AstraZeneca's Paul Naish about online information for lung cancer. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and Stitcher, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And finally, don't forget to visit our pharmaforum.com website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are at PharmaForum. Forum.